Hi, welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Each week on this podcast, we give you simple strategies to improve your body, mind, and well-being. You're checking your blood pressure, maybe at the doctor's office or a kiosk at your grocery store, or maybe even at home. And good for you. It's so important to know your numbers. But did you know there are a lot of things that could mess up your results? These five super common mistakes could raise your reading. Number five, this one actually might never cross your mind, a full bladder. It could tack on 10 to 15 points to your results. So take a bathroom break first. Number four, don't cross your legs. It could boost your numbers by as much as eight points. When you settle in for the test, sit in a chair with your back supported and your feet flat on the floor or on a footstool. Number three, don't rest your arm in your lap. Put it on a counter or the arm of the chair instead so that the blood pressure cuff is level with your heart. That can shave off 10 points. Number two, don't put the blood pressure cuff over your clothes. It could add as many as 50 points to your reading. The cuff should go over your bare arm. And last but not least, don't talk during the test. Just sit quietly. It could save you 10 points. These little fixes might make the difference between a blood pressure reading that's okay and one that's too high. Hi, I'm Jennifer Cooper, health editor here at WebMD. Recent research done by the Environmental Working Group, a nonprofit environmental research organization, had some alarming findings about the meat you buy in a typical supermarket. They found that nearly 80% of the meat sold in stores in the U.S. has antibiotic-resistant bacteria, also called superbugs. To tell us more about what that means for your health is WebMD's medical editor, Dr. Neha Pathak. Hi, how are you? What exactly is antibiotic-resistant bacteria? So antibiotics are medicines that specifically kill bacteria. And antibiotic resistance is when bacteria that would normally respond to certain groups of antibiotics no longer do. So this means that these bacteria are not killed by the antibiotics and can continue to grow. So this is a big deal because now your doctor may need to choose a different class of antibiotics, maybe second line or third line antibiotics that might not be as effective. They may be more toxic or much more expensive. Wow, how does that get into our meat? So when animals, and really for that matter, when people are given antibiotics when they don't really need them, what happens is the bacteria that is in their guts, their normal bacteria, get killed off. And if there are any resistant bacteria, they don't die and they multiply. So now you don't have normal bacteria kind of fending them off and you can have a whole, whole bunch of growth of this antibiotic resistant bacteria. So that gets into our meat during the slaughtering process. It can get into the meat supply. Another way is it can contaminate the environment, the soil and the water where the animals are being kept when animals poop. So in that way, it can also contaminate our produce that we eat. So what does that mean for our health? It's actually a very big problem. So just in the United States, over 2 million people become infected with antibiotic resistant infections a year. Of those, over 20,000 people die from these infections. 
And what we're talking about specifically today is the foodborne antibiotic infections. And that in the US, according to the CDC, affects over 400,000 people. So the reason we're really concerned about specifically antibiotic resistant infections is because they're just harder to treat and people can become sicker, they can be hospitalized for infections that normally we would be able to treat them outside of the hospital and people can die from these infections. Well, so what can we do to protect ourselves? So there are a couple of things. So a few tips is number one, what we call clean, separate, cook, and chill. So you want to really pay attention to how you're cleaning food that comes into your home. So I like to think of any food that I bring home as potentially contaminated. So you want to make sure you're washing your hands before and after handling specifically raw meat, fish, seafood. You want to make sure you're cleaning the cutting boards, the utensils, and anything that touched that, that food separate. So you want to make sure now that we know that these bacteria are living on raw foods and raw meat, you want to make sure that the produce is separate from the meat. And anything that's ready to eat that you would just pull out of the fridge and eat, you also want to make sure it's separate from raw meat. You want to make sure you're cooking it properly. So there are appropriate temperatures, internal temperatures that meat needs to get to to make sure that you're killing off bacteria. So you want to make sure you review what that is. It's different for ground meats versus ground poultry. Um, so that's an important thing. And then chilling. So you want to make sure that your fridge is chilled to the right temperature. So when you're storing raw or cooked meat, it's safe for you to use when you're ready to use it. I would say beyond these tips specifically, we really, really want to think about the meat that we're buying. So you want to buy things that have labels like American grass-fed or USDA organic whenever you can. The, the chances of having antibiotic resistant bacteria in that meat is lower than meat that's been, than animals that have been exposed to a lot of antibiotics. Wow. Okay. So uh, where can we go to get other information about this? So there's a lot of great information that you can find. So one great website is foodsafety.gov. has a lot of great information about how to cook your food, what temperatures um, it's safest for various types of meat. Um, and then the CDC also has great information about how antibiotic resistance happens, what we specifically can do to protect ourselves, and what the CDC is doing to protect the population. Wow, that's all really great information. Thank you, Dr. Pathak. Thanks so much for having me. Summertime can mean lots of fun outside with your dog, but when the temperature soars, some places can just get too hot for her. A few of them might surprise you. First up, your car. Okay, we hope this actually isn't surprising for you, but you should never leave your dog in the car, not even if you'll be only a few minutes. Why? Because even when it isn't that hot outside, the temperature inside a closed car can soar. On an 85 degree day, it can reach 102 degrees within 10 minutes, and that's with a window cracked. After 30 minutes, it could get up to 120, it's best to leave your dog at home or go places where she can come in with you. 
The next spot is your house, and this is if you raise the temperature super high during the day to save money. You might be overheating your pets. It's best to leave the air conditioner on and close the drapes. And if you don't have AC, open the windows and turn on a fan. The next hot spot is the doghouse. They can actually trap the heat inside and make it worse. Instead, find your dog a shady spot under the trees where air can flow through. You can also think about a kiddie pool or a sprinkler to help her cool off in the yard. And don't leave her out there for too long either. Make sure she has shade and lots of fresh, cool water. You might even add a few ice cubes. There can also be some places outside that just get way too hot for your pet, like the pavement. If it's too hot for you, it's too hot for your dog's paw pads. So test it with your hand first, and if it is too hot, walk her on the grass instead. You might even try booties for her so her paws don't burn. You know to stay inside on a really hot day, but you also need to be aware if it's super humid too. Your dog may not be able to pant enough to cool herself off, and that could lead to heat stroke. If you do go out, take walks in the cooler part of the day, the early morning and evening, and make sure you bring enough water for both of you. Also, if you have a snub-nosed breed like a pug or a bulldog, know that their smaller airways may make it harder for them to release heat when they pant. You should also watch out for old and overweight dogs or those with heart and breathing problems. It's easier for them to get heat stroke. Your dog can't tell you when she doesn't feel well, so keep an eye out for the symptoms of heat stroke. And those are heavy panting, heavy drooling, trouble breathing, a fast heartbeat, dark or red gums and tongue, dizziness, weakness, and agitation. If you see any of these signs, get her to the vet right away. You can get more tips on how to keep your pet cool and comfy by checking the link in our show notes. From calling up memories to learning to just processing the words you're hearing on this podcast, your brain is hard at work all day and even at night when you're asleep. But how much do you know about how it really works? Now's your chance to find out. We've got a quick quiz to see how smart you are about the brain. The first question is something you hear a lot. What percentage of your brain do you actually use? Is it 10%, 50%, or 100%? Most of us have heard the claim that we're only using a portion of our brains while the other part just languishes, right? But the correct answer is 100%. Brain scan studies show there's no part of your brain that goes unused. So don't believe any products that claim to tap into, quote, the rest of your brain. Next question, true or false? Some people are left-brained and others are right-brained. And you usually hear this to talk about how someone thinks, right? Logical thinkers rely on the left side while creative types tap into the right side. But is it true? No. Both sides work together on any mental task. All right, moving on from how it works to how it looks. Question three. What color is your brain? Is it gray, white, or different colors? Well, your brain does have what's called gray matter and white matter, but there are also red blood vessels and a part in the middle that's black. So different colors make up the living brain. But what about those grayish specimen brains you've seen maybe in a museum or a textbook? That color actually comes from the chemicals used to preserve them. 
Question number four. How many brain cells do adults grow per day? Is it zero, up to 350, or about 700? Scientists used to think that you were born with all your brain cells, but now they know that's not true. You grow new ones, about 700 per day, which is the correct answer. There are certain habits, like exercise, that can boost the number of brain cells you make. But you also lose them, too. The key to a healthy brain is to learn new skills and keep your mind engaged. Next question. What age is the best time to learn new information? Is it younger than three, ages 11 to 18, or any age? It may seem like a child's brain is a sponge soaking up everything, but really, you can learn at any age. Your brain is never too old to grow and change. One study found that one part of the brain, the hippocampus, is larger in taxi drivers than in bus drivers, maybe because they have to learn and memorize many city streets instead of a fixed route. And speaking of learning, our final question is, what happens in your brain when you learn new things? Does it grow new cells, form new connections, or get more wrinkles? The correct answer? Learning is all about those connections. Each time you pick up a new skill or master a topic, your brain cells grow fibers. And they make connections called synapses, which help messages travel from one brain cell to the other. Those connections are fragile, though, and they can disappear. But the more you practice that skill or discuss a topic, the thicker and stronger the connections become. That helps you remember what you learned. Okay, I hope you all aced this brain quiz, or at least gave your brain a bit of a workout. There are more fun facts and questions about the brain in the full quiz. You can look for that link in our show notes. Now it's time for our tweak of the week, one simple thing you can start today to make your life a little healthier. This week, try cutting back on your tech time. People who constantly check email and social media are more stressed than people who don't check it as often. And it's not just being tied to technology that causes stress. The content of what you're looking at matters too. All those political and cultural discussions on social media can have a negative effect on your mood. And despite that technology can be a great way to keep in touch, people who use it the most actually feel more disconnected from their friends and family. Try dialing it back a bit. Set a digital curfew and stop checking your email and social feeds one hour before bedtime. Make email and social media off limits during certain times throughout the day, like when you're having dinner with family and friends or on weekends. When you feel the urge to check and it's not crucial, find something else to do that's relaxing. Play music, read, or listen to a podcast. That's all for this week. Thanks to everyone for joining us, and thanks to everyone who's subscribed to the podcast so far. Talk to you next week.